Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bring the Vegas gaming experience to the palm of your hand. Bet your favorite team, try your luck in a casino, or our poker room. The earliest sports lines and the biggest limits online. Lots of deposit options. Bet on live events as they happen. The next play, the next score. Get winnings fast or roll them into a parlay and win even more. Visit Bet Online today and see what millions of customers have experienced for over 20 years. On third and three, they protect Brady. Scans the field and lets it fly. It's Evans. It's a touchdown. This is the big nasty. Yeah, big nasty. All fame Tempe Buccaneer fan, baby. This is Mike Allstott, Tempe Buccaneers, and you're listening to the Cannon Fire Podcast. Cannon Fire Podcast, brother. You ain't listening, and you're missing out. Woo! And they're the cannons, cannon. Fire them. Keep on firing them. Keep on firing them. Hello and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a very special edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Rhett Matthew. Joined alongside me, my good buddy and co-host from BucksNation.com, Mr. Evan Wanish. And, of course, joining us this week as well, former Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback, former running backs coach for the USF Bulls, Mr. Sean King. Basically, we're a couple of days removed from uh, week one's Sunday night football contest between the Bucks and the Cowboys, 19-3. to the final score in that one, Tampa Bay victorious as they improved to 1-0. There were a lot of things to take away from that game, but I think the biggest takeaways I had were the run game clearly up and going. It was clear in that first half that Todd Bowles and uh, the offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich wanted to commit to running the ball, and they did just that to the tune of a little over 120 yards, I think, or right around there, six yards per carry for Mr. Leonard Fournette. And, of course, the strong showing from the defense, Sean what were your biggest takeaways from week one looking at this Bucks team as they get ready to play a pretty tough division opponent on the road? Well, there were two. Um, the first being, I think you saw an identity shift. And I think this is what happens when you go from an offensive-centric head coach in Bruce Arians to a defensive-centric head coach in Todd Bowles. You know, you saw a lot more complimentary football. Uh, they wanted to control time of possession. Uh they were very conservative and based on field position. And I think that's what you probably can expect, especially until they get their full complement of guys completely healthy. Um, and the second thing I saw was Tampa was one of the few teams who chose not to play their offensive starters in the preseason who found a way to win this past weekend. If you look around starting on Thursday, the Rams didn't play Stafford in that bunch. They look really rusty. You know, you looked at yesterday, Joe Burrow and, and, the, and the Bengals guys, they didn't look great. Uh, Russell, you know, and his teammates from Denver, they didn't play in the preseason. So, you know, I think it, it was pretty impressive they were able to go out, even if they weren't the same explosive team that we've kind of seen since Brady's been here. I mean, that defense played tremendous. Now, I know Dallas, you know, isn't the Dallas we're accustomed to, but it's still the NFL. And, uh, you know, I think they were extremely impressive. I thought Brady was sharp. You know, considering that uh, he didn't make it on the mass Singer and he got back in time. <laughs> so uh, those are my biggest two takeaways. Yeah, I, I think uh, you, you brought up well when you said uh, the complimentary, um, playing complimentary football. And it's something that 
a lot of coaches in the past in Tampa Bay have preached, but a lot of them haven't been able to successfully do it. Uh, of course, you know, you mentioned going from an offensive minded head coach to a defensive minded head coach. You were kind of the opposite in your playing days going from Tony Dungy, a defensive minded guy who really, I think preached complimentary football. You, you know, you won a lot of low scoring games uh, where the defense only gave up three points. Um, and then you're going to John Gruden, an offensive guy. What would you say is the biggest difference? Uh, in a camp when you're trying to shift a philosophy like that? Well, <clears throat> I guess let me speak to just my situation. I kind of was Trey Lance. You know, and that's a tough spot for a young quarterback on this Sunday. Nobody knows. <laughs> uh, unless you're a Jaguar or a Commanders fan, no one knows, but everybody knows how Trey Lance played. Mm. You know, Texans tied Indy, but how did Davis Mills play? No one mm. knows. Like, it's tough, you know, when you're on a team that has Super Bowl expectations and from a roster management standpoint, the fan base, the organization feels like this is a Super Bowl roster. Now, how does a young quarterback develop? When can he go out and, and just play and then go back and learn from those mistakes and get better? So it's going to be a tough road for Trey Lance. Uh, I guess the difference in Tampa was the allocation of, of resources. You know, when Tony was there, I mean, we didn't have any money put on offense. I mean, you think when I got there, that was still, uh, yeah, Paul Gruber was still playing tackle. Uh, Tony Mayberry, you know, Frank Middleton, you know, all of our money was on the defensive side of the ball. And then Gruber came, we, we brought in uh, the two linemen from uh, Minnesota. We brought in Ricky Dudley, Joe Dravicious, Keenan McCardell, Michael Pittman, Thomas Jones. So, we, 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 you know, a lot of the resources, you know, as far as where the money was being spent kind of switched. Uh, in this situation, because most of their key guys are already under contract and already have secured the bag, this is just going to be philosophical. And uh, I think this Bucks team is going to look a lot more similar to some of those Patriot teams that played great defense, ran the ball, and, and Brady made timely plays, you know, whether it be third down red zone or, or end the game. Yeah, and we've spoken to this before, especially with having a 45-year-old Tom Brady at quarterback. Complimentary football is your best bet at this point because can Tom Brady throw the ball 700 times a year? Yeah, he can. He proved it last year, leading the league in all of those statistics, but you don't exactly want to have him do that. I think a lot of people look at the Bucs as a run or a, I'm sorry, a pass first, explosive offense, big time plays, Bruce Arians offense, you know, a lot of big plays by the receivers, big throws from the quarterback, and Brady can do that. But if you don't have to have him do it, it certainly makes things a hell of a lot easier. Plus, you just paid Leonard Fournette a big three-year contract. The guy earned that money. I think instilling some confidence in the run game when you have to and proving that you can win in more ways than one is really going to help this team in the long run because one of the biggest things that held them back against L.A. in the playoffs last year was just lack of firepower and injuries on the offensive side of the ball. You know, towards the end of the day, the defense was able to kind of hold up the way that they needed to until that final drive of the game. But for the most part, a lot of people look at injuries on offense that really let this team down last year. And listen, if you can run the ball, because you're going to be without Chris Godwin for a couple of weeks, we'll talk about that here in a minute too, but you can find other ways to move the ball on the offensive side. And especially with a team like New Orleans, who has mastered shutting down the pass against Tampa Bay, having a steady run game. A lot of people aren't used to it, but when you've got a, got a, uh, when you've got a guy like Leonard Fournette who is capable of doing that, it just changes your offensive approach, and it's going to make this team 
much more interesting to watch from here on out. Before we get into some other takes from the game, I wanted to go over some important injury updates here. Wide receiver Chris Godwin was back in the game on Sunday night. He first snapped from scrimmage for the offense. He takes a 24-yard screen pass, gets a first down. Nothing more poetic than that. Has a couple of more catches, but uh, makes a sideline catch later in the night. Tweaks his hamstring, and uh, he's out for the rest of the game. So Todd Bowles addressed it. He suffered a hamstring strain on Sunday night. He is likely to miss some time, but from what we understand, the Bucs kind of dodged a bullet because when you saw that right leg buckle on the replay, a lot of people immediately thought the ACL. Luckily, it wasn't just an aggravated hamstring, but with Godwin on the men for, I don't know, the next two or three weeks, maybe. Evan, let me ask you this. Do you think they have an idea of how much time he's going to miss? Because as long as he's healthy by the playoffs, they should be fine, right? Yeah, and and that's got to be the priority, I think. Um, you, it was clearly one of the reasons they weren't Super Bowl champions again in 2021 was because of Chris Godwin's loss, and it was a major loss for the offense. So, um, like you said, the good news is not it's not the knee. Uh, there was the knee came out fine. Uh, they they tested out the knee when they test out the hamstring there. Uh, the the knee responded fine to everything. So that's the best news that it, it has nothing to do with with the knee injury. And honestly, a lot of people say, well, why was he out there? It, it's it's football. You know, in, injuries happen, and you can question maybe he rushed himself back a little bit. But if he felt he was ready and the Bucks felt he was ready, you know, why not put him out there? So uh, it sucks that he will likely miss two to three, maybe four weeks. I, I would think it's four weeks at most, but, um, you know, it sucks that you won't have him, but Hey, this is now a chance for him to get a hundred percent healthy because they're going to need him down the stretch. And it sucks that they're going to miss him, especially, you know, for this week and then potentially next two, which are three really tough games coming up. But if, if you don't have him for week 18 because you had him for weeks one, two, and three, what's the point? Uh, you, you can't, you can't win the Super Bowl. Uh, in, in, in the first three weeks of the season. Uh, but when you get into January, you got to start playing your best football and you need one of your better players. So I think that has to be the priority for the Bucks and Godwin. Yeah, they brought him back too. So, yeah, I, I would always err on the side of caution because, you know, even if the knee's healthy, because you've been compensating, overcompensating to try and get it healthy, there are other, you know, lower extremities, you know, that especially when you play – the game like Chris does where he's in the slot a lot of the time, you know, he's in there with those linebackers and safeties. I just, I would have, I wouldn't have brought him back yet. I feel terrible. I bet he felt some pressure because of Gronk not coming back. Um, Russell Gage missed the most of the training camp, you know, so we don't know if he's even a hundred percent. So I'm sure he felt some pressure there, but you know, I, I was a little skeptical that, that he was completely ready, you know, to come back. So, Unfortunate, but hopefully, you know, hamstrings can be tricky, my fellas. Keenan Allen, you know, got one. The Chargers, uh, number one receiver, he, he pulled his two. Those can be tricky. They generally only heal through rest. Talking on this Buccaneers wide receiver room, I wanted to get your thoughts on Julio Jones, who is essentially the next man up right now, which is a little weird considering we are talking about Julio Jones of all people, but his week one performance against Dallas, he notches three catches, 69 yards. Sean, what did you make of Julio? You think he's up to the task? I I mean, he certainly has the resume. Well, I mean, Julio's kind of like a unicorn. I mean, he's those once every 20-year, you know, type of players. You know, you just don't find guys with that size, that physicality, those ball skills, that top-end speed, especially when he was in his prime. 
you know, he that was, competitiveness. He was the third uh, fastest player from week one. Yeah. They, they clocked him, I yeah. think, at 20 and a half miles per hour. And for a lot of people looking at a 30-plus-year-old Julio Jones, I certainly didn't think he was capable of hitting that speed this weekend. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, he's a specimen like Terrell Owens. He just didn't have all the off-the-field antics, you know. So so those guys are they're, – they're marvels of human nature. So I wouldn't recommend anyone else Julio's age, you know, attempt to do what he's doing. But, I mean – when you have a deep threat like Mike Evans on the outside, and, you know, I'm telling you guys, if Russell Gage is completely healthy, he's going to have a huge impact, you know, because uh, he, he's a really good player. I mean, Julio can kind of feel that Gronkowski role, you know, running the over route from the play action. You know, uh, he's still a heck of a matchup on the outside just because of his size and experience and the way he catches the ball. You saw that one catch he made? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, where was he when I was playing? Like, he give me one of those, coach. But, uh, I mean, they have talent. I mean, they, they have the same battle, guys, that everybody else in the league has. Can we get our guys healthy? Can, can we be productive? Can we win games and, and remain healthy? But uh, they, they have a lot more options, you know, than most receiver rooms. I mean, you think when, when they're running it at optimum and full capacity, now you're talking Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Russell Gage, Julio Jones. I mean, no one else is trying out, you know, uh, the depth of, of known production, you know, like that. Like, some guys have, like, some younger players. Pittsburgh has George Pickens, oh. Chase Claypool. Like, they have younger guys that we oh, think are going to be good, yeah. but nobody's four deep, like, with 1,000-yard guys. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree, and – um you know, with, with Julio now, it's like you said, it, it's a luxury that not many NFL teams have. And, you know, when you, when your wide receiver two goes down, you know, okay, you just throw in one of the greatest of all time, uh, you know, are uh, uh, you know, going to be a, most likely a first bout hall of famer uh, who, you know, didn't most really likely. Look, uh, yeah. I, well, I, mean, I, I don't know if he's stop it. first bout. Please stop I, yeah, it. I know, are you I talking know. about Julio? Yeah, Julio. Man, stop it. Me and Julio down by the schoolyard. Who more than first ballot? <laughs> all, right, all right. I'll hold you to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that like you said that, that catch, you know, I, I brought up on the post game that it was – that was like the old Julio. That was the Julio that you saw in 2017, 2018, that you saw terrorize the Bucks. I mean, for, for years, every matchup, it seemed like he was doing something like that. And he almost came down with the other catch later on in the game, which, you know, was a, was a really long pass, tough uh, throw for Brady. He was just a little low. But, um, I mean, yeah, Julio looked good. They ran some end arounds with him. He looked explosive on those. Can I, can I say something yeah, right quick? This is the power of Tom Brady. Like, this is the magic. He doesn't have the greatest arm. You know, he's not the most athletic. But guys just believe in him. So, like, if you look at Julio and his body language when you ask in Tennessee, that's because he practiced with Ryan Tannehill every day. So, after when he's driving home, he's on the phone with his homeboys. Like, man, boy, Tannehill, garbage. I mean, he's <laughs> hot garbage. <laughs> you know, now he's driving home, hey, man. Brady the best I've ever been around. I thought Matt Ryan was good, man. Brady, the, man, I'm going to go home and go to sleep. You know, that's the magic of Brady is, is guys know they have a real chance to go win a championship. So fingers crossed that we can keep Julio upright and healthy. And sorry for cutting you off. I'm sorry. But I had no. to bring it up. Because no, I got hey, all the things that Brady does, all of his value, I mean, that's his greatest attribute. 
No, I, I definitely agree. And they, they talk about when when Brady arrived there, how like people on the defense, you know, the coaching staff, the the trainers, everything changed. And it, the, it's the not jan- just the janitors at Advent yeah. Health Training Center. They you were know, they, they were up their game a little better. bit because TB12 is in town. They had a little bit more pep in their step when they were cleaning out the bathrooms. Just, you know, they, they didn't want TB12 to walk into a, a, a dirty bathroom. Who wants that? So, um, yeah, I, I definitely agree that, you know, Tom Brady does bring that out in people, and it looks like he's doing it again with Julio Jones. I mean, people forget Antonio Brown was 32, 33 years old playing last year, and, and he was very productive. At times, was the Bucks' best wide receiver. Uh, Rob Gronkowski was 32 years old. You know, he, he did it with, you know, in 2007 with uh, over 30-year-old Randy Moss, who people thought was done. Like, people thought Randy Patriots Moss Patriots got finished. him for a sixth-round pick. <laughs> yeah, I, like, that still pisses thought, me off, the fact that the Raiders just accepted a sixth round pick for my I mean my personal favorite wide receiver of all time is Randy Moss this is uh hold on let me geek out for a little bit man I was so excited when I found this a couple of weeks ago I went to a Tampa flea market this guy had this card marked for 20 bucks I looked it up it's like 115 it's got the uniform fabric in there I don't buy a lot of football cards unless I really like the player but yeah, I still get pissed off that the Pats just absolutely fleeced Oakland the way that they did. A six-rounder for was, Randy Moss. And that was 2007, like, before Brady had won, like, four other Super Bowls. Like, that was before Brady was even, like, you know, in 2007, nobody was really saying, oh, Brady's the greatest of all time. Not many people were saying that. And he still was able to get it out of him. So, hopefully, you know, like you said, Sean, Julio can stay up healthy that's the biggest factor i don't think any nobody's denying the ability they're you know questioning the availability of of julio jones and that's been an issue for the past two or three seasons uh when he was with atlanta he barely played against the bucks towards the end of his atlanta career because he was just hurt all the time so that's the biggest thing and i think the depth on this team will help that uh you mentioned russell russell gage gage was dealing with a little bit of a hamstring missed a lot i think caught two balls um on Sunday night and, and hopefully he'll be back into the swing of things. But yeah, I mean, Julio stepping up and being your wide receiver two slash three is certainly a, a good case scenario that really only the Bucks can, can have at this point. Sean, let me get your opinion on something. We've talked a lot about Julio Jones and especially that one forty something yard catch that he made on Sunday night against Dallas, but something else happened on that play that has really been uh, getting a lot of attention on social media, especially over on Twitter Wanted to get your take on Leonard Fournette kind of chip blocking Micah Parsons the way that he did. He was in there to pass protect on that for Brady. Gave him plenty of time. Micah Parsons comes off of the edge. He's already kind of occupied with a block. Lenny gives him the what for, knocks him on his ass. Play is made. And a lot of people shake it off and say, oh, well, that's football. You know, football's football. It gets physical. I feel like you've seen the highlight that you know I'm talking about. I mean, Micah Parsons and Leonard Fournette are not chirping each other back and forth on Twitter. What is your take? I mean football's football or are you one of those people that thinks maybe this is something the NFL needs to uh to take another look at as far as you know considering it a blindside block well I mean it's a completely clean block you know it was actually part of the game like when I played like and I mean that because in the defense's defense they've been relegated to basically having to tag off any any violent encounter, I mean, they're generally flagged for roughing the passer or unsportsmanlike conduct or targeting. So they're saying, I mean, you got to protect us too. You know, so I think that's where that energy comes from. From I think it was Vaughn Miller that chimed in and said that uh, the NFL 
the PA has to do something about that. But that's where that energy comes from. I mean, that's not a cheap block. I mean, that's not a a, a, a cheap play or a cheap shot. That that's a clean block. It's called chipping. You know, uh, I teach my backs to do it. You know, a lot of times when you have an offensive tackle that's not capable of blocking a defensive end one on one. You know, just the mere presence of the running back is enough to detour the, the pass rusher a lot of times because he know that what happened to Micah could potentially happen. Micah's a younger player. And I guarantee you when he rushes a wide rush from now on and the running back exits to that side, Micah's going to hesitate for a second just to make sure. So it's actually an effective technique. But, again, I understand the energy that defensive players have because of what they're not allowed to do anymore from a physicality standpoint. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's it's a clean play. Um, the ironic thing is that somebody dug up an old tweet of Micah Parsons from last December after Chris Godwin's injury. Tom Brady was saying how uh, he thinks the NFL should sort of you know protect players uh, when when defensemen you know are, are going at at their knees, kind of. And Tom Brady said how, how they should protect them. And Micah Parsons quote tweeted it and said like, "Oh man, like just play football." And then, you know, he's the one crying about a, a illegal block. It wasn't, you know, Leonard Fournette didn't go low. He, he didn't he didn't go towards the head. It, it was completely clean. And, yeah, that's that's something that Micah Parsons, like you say, he's a young player. He's going to learn. Uh, he's a great player, obviously. So I think he'll, he'll learn very quickly. And, um, yeah, it's it's a clean block. I don't, I don't see why there even has to be a debate about it because, like you said, it's football. You know, you know back, back, back when you were playing – uh, you probably got hit a lot more than some of these quarterbacks do with no flags yeah. thrown. I mean, listen, I'd have, I'd have been a out of the four thousand thirty touchdown guy this game, man. <laughs> these guys, they got no fear. They just stand back there, and if he hits you hard, you're gonna get an extra set of down. So, listen, if somebody lays out a quarterback like Leonard Fournette laid out Micah Parsons, that's a five year ban from the NFL and possibly a jail <laughs> sentence nowadays. I mean, it is nuts out here, but. One more Tampa Bay Buccaneers injury I wanted to discuss here because this guy, while we know Chris Godwin more than likely isn't going to play for the next couple of weeks, this guy's status kind of up in the air. We'll find out a little bit more throughout the week as he shows up on the injury report. But Donovan Smith, after leaving week one's game with an injury to that, I think it was the left wrist. Elbow, um, I think it's labeled. Elbow slash wrist area. It looked pretty nasty on the replay, but his x-rays came back negative, which is a huge sigh of relief for Tampa Bay. So kind of along the same side, uh, the same lines as Chris Godwin. Definitely feel like you dodged a bullet here, considering you're talking about your starting left tackle. And uh, we know that Josh Wells, without any help against Micah Parsons, is going to go ahead and give up a sack there. So you look at the pass rush you're facing over the next couple of weeks. You could certainly use a guy like Donovan Smith. Um, Todd Bull said today, I believe it was a hyperextended elbow. And it's more of a pain tolerance thing right now. Donovan Smith is a guy who, I mean, really hasn't missed a start in the NFL up until last year. I don't think he missed any at all last year, did he, Evan? Uh, I don't believe so. He's been like like an Iron Man of sorts. Yeah, uh, he, so he's, he rarely misses starts. With that kind of reputation, let me ask you, Sean, do you think he steps up, takes one for the team this week, and, and plays against a pretty physical and tough team in New Orleans? So if this is a pain tolerance thing and he's playing the Saints – I'm sure he's going to be hurting during the game this week, but do you think he plays? Well, whenever it comes to something like this, I always check a guy's resume. And as you just so eloquently said, I mean, his resume says that if he can play, he's going to play. So this isn't one of those guys, you know, you go look at his career. He's been in the league seven years and never played a full slate of games. You know, it's 13 this year and 12 and then 14. 
like as you mentioned, if Donovan can play, he uses his resume says he plays. So if he can't, then that means he really can't go. And that would be a shame because uh, this next stretch of three games is pretty important. And uh, it's a significant upgrade for what they play Sunday night versus a diminished Dallas team. You know, uh, I'm actually a person to think the Saints are Super Bowl caliber this year. You know, I just think that if they remain healthy, that they're, that they're headed in the right direction. Then you get Aaron Rodgers and then you get Patrick Mahomes, you know, next three weeks. So, you know, considering what he's already, you know, lost from an attrition standpoint, whether it be the retirement, free agency, or injury on the interior of that offensive line, I mean, to, to now lose only your tackles, I mean, what else could go wrong? I mean, yeah, I, I think well, Josh and Josh Wells, you know, if, and to be fair to him, I, I think he played better in the second half. Uh, right when you get in there, it's rough. You're kind of thrown to the wolves. Uh, he had the sack to Micah Parsons there, and then I, I think the Bucks sort of found some answers. One of a you know late in the in the first half, that was the final drive before the the half on that was that Lenny block. So I think the Bucks sort of found some answers there, and hopefully those can carry over. But um, the good news is that it sounds like you know it. This is something, you know, it's a pain tolerance thing. So if Smith can't go this week, the good news is that, and I, I don't know this for sure, but I don't know if this is something that would carry over two, three, four weeks. Um, because if it's a pain tolerance thing, maybe this week's a stretch, but next week hopefully should be good. Because you're right. I mean, not only do you have Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, two great quarterbacks, um, you know, after this this New Orleans game, but you also have, I, I think, you know, they have they have talent on the defensive side of the ball, both teams, and you're gonna need your tackles there, especially with you know Brady being you know not a mobile quarterback, he's not gonna be able to avoid the rush like that, and you're already starting a rookie left guard, so you don't want to have an inexperienced you know bad backup left tackle there. Uh, you want to be able to stabilize that, but you know, just like you said, look at the resume. I think if if Smith is is able to go, I think he will. Uh, right now, it's too early to tell for me, but we'll see if he practices it all this week. I would guess if he does, he'll be limited. He wouldn't be participating fully, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But it's a it's a pretty important piece, especially uh, against the Saints team, who you know plays it just. Gets up for they own us. They yeah. own us. Oh. I don't know what it is. Like oh, you know, it's man. always that one team. Where, I mean, they, it, no matter what happens, they figure out a way to win. Like, they, did did you ever have, with that, the have that team? Did you ever have that team in the pros or in college? Where like, where, well, for, no for, what you for did? us, for us in Tampa, it was a weather thing. Mm-hmm. I remember we had like that stat. We had never won a game where the, the uh, opening temperature was below. 40 degrees or 30 <laughs> degrees or something. So it was a weather thing for us because uh, we were in the NFC Central when I was drafted. So this is when Tampa was still in uh, the division with Minnesota, Chicago, Green Bay, Detroit. And we used to split most of the time, you know, back then. At that point, Tampa had gotten pretty good. But uh, I will say this about backups in general. And, you know, when I'm evaluating different situations, I don't really worry about backups in short-term situations. I think the disparity really starts to show itself after a certain number because uh, your frontline guys, when they get fatigued mentally and physically, that skill set, that core foundation of talent is still enough, you know, to, to get you through and play winning football. When you start getting to that second group of guys, that's where the drop-off becomes significant. 
Like the first two, three series, they're, they're you know, operating at full output, maximum energy. It's what happens mid-third quarter, you know, when it's played 55. And, you know, fatigue is set in and my ankle hurts a little bit. And, you know, that's kind of where, where, where it really starts to show itself. So, but luckily, we never really got in a stressful situation Sunday night. Just the game flow kind of was one where, you know, we're going to run the ball, play field position. You know, Bucks kind of dominated from start to finish. But we'll see, you know, some of these competitive, you know, tests, especially, you know, some environments where it's going to be loud and the snap count and hearing it. You saw how much Denver really struggled last night, just, you know, getting the playoff, you know, in the allotted time. So hopefully it's not an issue. And Donovan, if you're watching this, uh, we need you, big fella. <laughs> Looking ahead they to next do. week and a very physical opponent and the New Orleans Saints. Tough division road game for Tampa Bay as they are on the road for the second week in a row. And I guess maybe we can start this discussion on the offensive line. I wanted to get your take on the young guys in the interior. Robert Hainsey, the second-year center, making his, uh, I don't know if it's his first, yeah, first NFL career start against Dallas. And then, of course, the rookie Luke Gedeke there at left guard. Both of those guys, statistically, I think their block win rate was both over 80%. So that's pretty damn good for an evening in the NFL. Uh, But looking at what they're about to face against New Orleans, what is your take on these guys? Oh, well, I think we're going to figure out, you know, as it moves forward, you know, who and what they are and what they're capable of. You know, sometimes guys surprise you. You know, sometimes you had like a diamond in the rough that just wasn't getting an opportunity. And uh, you think Ali Marpet wasn't a, a high draft pick or, you know, a kid that we expected coming out of a small college to come and, you know, what he start at, at guard for? For almost a decade? Almost, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, sometimes you find, you know, those diamonds. So we'll see. Uh, they got a lot to be proud of, man. I mean, Leonard Fournette went for 127 yards rushing. You know, a lot of that is interior O-line, you know, getting to the right defensive lineman, covering them up, finishing the block, you know. So a lot to build on from that game. Yeah. You know, what obviously... we didn't see, what we didn't see was them in known passing situations mm-hmm. after pass pro. Because yeah. the Bucks kind of had the lead. Never really were in like that. We're down seven, eight. No, we got to throw it, you know. So, but but again, it's it's great to improve off a win. I promise you that. It's better than losing. Yeah, for sure. And uh, that's why I brought up on the post game show too. I was like, yeah, like the, the game plan is great and like everything, but there will be games where um, Tom Brady's gonna have to throw the ball you know, 35, 40 times, like, and Tom Brady's going to have to win the game for him. And how does the offensive line hold up there uh, is going to be a real test. So going to stick on the offensive side of the ball before we wrap up, you know, the Bucks offense has really struggled against the Saints the past, you know, in the Tom Brady era, it's really struggled. Last time these two teams played, the Bucks didn't score a point, right? The Bucks lost nine, nine to nothing. I I mean, you know, come on, but um what do you think the Bucks have to do on offense, maybe differently or maybe like better to be able to find success against New Orleans? Well, I wanted to make sure I was uh, I had my statistics right, but the Saints finished fourth last year in team defense in the National Football League, so it wasn't just the Bucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <struggle>. <laughs> and true. uh. I just think they're going to be even better on defense this year, you know, because Dennis Allen is the head coach. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what you saw with Todd Bowles, you know, being in charge is what you're going to see with Dennis Allen. You know, I always say this. Offensive coaches aren't just happy with winning. 
They want to be entertaining in the win. Defensive coaches don't give a damn if ain't a fan in the stands, if it's six to three, you know, they just worried about can we defend the run? Can we rush the quarterback? You know, can we play pass defense without committing fouls? That's all they care about. So it'll be an interesting matchup, you know, Saints, Bucks, two defensive head coaches when we've gotten Sean Payton versus Bruce Arians, you know, the last couple of years. So I think balance is key. You know, uh, the biggest asset, you know, for a young offensive lineman is not to put them in a lot of known passing situations. Um, and, and, you know, we, we're going to have to – We're gonna. I'm going to find out a lot about our secondary. You know, the one thing that I did not know coming out of the Dallas game is, you know, they never really tested us. They didn't push the ball down the field. They didn't really have anybody as a pass catcher who, who could run after the catch, you know, who we thought was going to catch a short pass and take it long. Well, this game would be different. Uh, Michael Thomas looks to be fully back to his Pro Bowl level, you know, based on the second half of the Falcons game. They added Chris Olave, who made a couple catches. Jarvis Landry had some big plays. You know, of course, they got Kamara at, at tailback. So this will be a different animal. You know, people say what they want about Jameis, but not a lot of guys walking around the stone for 4,000-plus yards and, what was it, 40 touchdowns in the season. I don't care how many interceptions he's thrown, like, that lets you know that the talent is there. So this will be a, a much different test for the Bucks, uh, and it's at New Orleans, right? It, it, yeah, yeah, it's it's the Saints' home open. So so you know the dome's yeah. gonna be loud. Yeah. So the who that crowd, you know, especially they want to know. Yeah, they, they'll be a little more. Uh, they'll have a bigger impact than, than the, the shocked Dallas faithful from Sunday night. Looking at their game against Atlanta, Week One, that one obviously comes down to the wire. Atlanta with another classic choke job. It is actually Man. impressive how they continue to find ways to lose football games. So the Saints, they be uh, the Saints able to come up victorious in that one, but their running back ran all over New Orleans, and and that's kind of my my curiosity coming into this one is that we heard uh, Jenkins just recently talking about how the Saints secondary is basically built to shut down Tom Brady from throwing the football, and if the Bucks find themselves in that situation yet again. I'm really, really curious to see how this run game shakes out. I, I know it's kind of weird saying, you know, as a Bucks fan who has watched this team over the last three seasons, I'm excited to watch the run game this week, but like I I am. I, I feel like the more consistency you can build, the more ways you can win football games, I'd like to see Lenny run all over these guys this week. And I feel like that's probably something they're going to have a better shot of doing rather than Tom Brady throwing over, you know, 300 yards. I just don't think that happens this week. Well, well, let me say this. Uh, completely different run scheme than what they saw last week. Uh, you know, I, I, I almost forgot when Marietta went to Atlanta that Arthur Smith was his OC in Tennessee. And Atlanta's run game is almost all zone read. I think Mariota had like 12 carries for 72 yards and a touchdown. Now, listen, if Brady carries it 12 times for 72 yards on Sunday, listen, hey, man. I'll play for you guys to come to Vegas for a week, all on me. Yeah. You know what yeah, I'm saying? If Brady, like, if Brady gets over 70. <laughs> yeah, that ain't happening. So, like, it's this, and I always like to put, I always like to put context on stuff. So, stopping or defending the Tampa run game is completely different than trying to stop and defend Atlanta, who's throwing the quarterback as an extra, you know, responsibility into the, the run scheme. So, it, it'll be – fascinating just to watch it and see is is it the Saints run defense or is it just the scheme, you know, with, with Marietta, 
you know, and him being able to to, to pick up things with, with his feet. Yeah, without a doubt, it's going to be an interesting game. A big division battle for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the road for week two. If they win this one, you basically, I think, yeah, you go up to first in the division despite New Orleans playing two games already. So you want to get out, uh, you want to get out ahead of those guys as quickly as you can. If they lose this one, well, then New Orleans is is two and zero in the division already, and the Bucks got to dig themselves out of a hole. So well, and, it, it can't well, be understated a, how crucial this game boost. is. What a confidence boost it would be heading into a Green Bay and Kansas City if you were finally able to beat New Orleans in a regular season. You know, like what what a confidence boost it would be for this team if you were able to do that. So um, beat New Orleans, it's difficult, and I you know. I don't know. I, I, I had I had them lose. I had them losing both games just because I rather yeah. underpromise and, and get surprised. Yeah, but I just yeah. I, when I was playing <laughs> I, I, I a win well. total, yeah, I just went okay. We're gonna lose in New Orleans twice. I mean, we lost them with Taysom Hill, and I think Ian Book playing quarterback last year. So I I told I said you know if if New Orleans like um, I'm not gonna pick them to beat New Orleans until they do. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess I guess we can all agree on that. Then I was going to ask your picks to wrap up the show here, but you you got them dropping this game this week, huh? I, I'm, I'm going to go with the split. I'm going to say New Orleans wins in New Orleans and Tampa wins in Tampa. So okay, uh, now, 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 I'm going to go fifty fifty. Right. That would be a, that that would be improvement for us for the last, for, uh, for what's happened in the recent past. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, any win over these guys in the regular season is going to go a long way, considering, just like you mentioned, they haven't seen it since, I don't know, regular season 2019? Did they split with them that year? They got swept? No, 18, right? Was the last time they beat them in the regular season? Last time the Bucs beat the Saints was September 9th, 2018. Last time With Ryan Fitzpatrick? Yes. Yeah. That was a fun game, too, man, but definitely feels like ages ago. Hopefully they can get the job done. Sean, thank you so much for jumping on the pod with us this week. Ladies and gentlemen, that's just about going to do it for this episode of the Cannon Fire podcast. Thank you so much for checking us out over on YouTube or on our uh, audio outlets. We don't give you guys enough love, but we truly do appreciate you. You're the backbone of this podcast. A lot of people get so enamored with the video part of it that you forget about your listening audience. So we truly do appreciate you guys. Check out the show on social media. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those are Cannon Fire Podcast. Best place to go for updates on the show. And of course, Buccaneer News as it happens. Speaking of box news as it happens, you can follow my co-host Evan on Instagram at box underscore daily. And you can also find him on Twitter at EvanNFL. Sean, do you have anything you want to promote before we wrap up? Uh, yes, you can follow me on Twitter at RealSeanKing. Um, Instagram, it's at King. And of course, I host a three-hour television show out here in Las Vegas, where I currently live, uh, from 3 to 6 Pacific, Monday through Friday. You can watch it on the VSIN, V-S-I-N, network. If you have YouTube television, uh, it's on there. Also, you can download the app and watch there or listen. Great stuff, man. Last but not least, you can find myself, Instagram and Twitter, at Redicus, R-H-E-T-T-A-K-U-S. If you follow me, I will follow you back. That's our show for this week. We'll talk to you guys a little bit later as we get more in-depth on the matchup with New Orleans on our weekly game preview. That should be coming out on Friday. Expect us to be live on YouTube for that one. I'm your host, Rhett Matthews, signing off for my co-host, Evan Wanish and Sean King. We'll catch you guys in the next one. Until then, and as always, Go Bucks. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.